0: You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. there we go 10 years on 3CR airwaves here on the renegade economist show number 508 pat myself on the back and thank all uh, those people who've joined me over the years certainly uh, enriched uh, my storytelling abilities being here on 3CR and having this uh, uh, great uh, drive to uh, meet people around the world doing good things, trying to uh, raise awareness about these challenges we have in this world of Monopoly. We all grow up playing the board game, making our uh, siblings cry as we purchase more and more Monopolies as the price of survival on that board game continues to rise wasn't until uh, I started to grok this story of Henry George that uh, the original game, the landlord's game, was designed to actually teach us about the dangers of monopoly and the importance of understanding a genuine economic democracy where we not only get to vote, but we get a right to the value of natural resources on this planet. And by doing so, it reduces the growth mantra, the rent-seeking mantra that pushes for so much expansionism in the name of uh, unearned incomes, this naturally rising value of the earth that uh, we believe as Georges should be channeled back to the community, redirected away from the 1%, away from the insiders and back towards giving all of us a tax cut. And I like to think that here on the show, where we're turning the 1%ers' dream of making money in their sleep into a dawning realization that they are the true economic bludgers chasing these unearned incomes. When we think that welfare costs some $156 billion at the federal level, that's 35% of all expenditure. Uh, We have to remember that last year land values increased by $260 billion. And last night we had our 126th annual dinner. There was uh, over 100 people in attendance at the wool shed in the Docklands and it was uh, a fantastic evening. We're going to hear a recording later in the show from Philip Anderson, the author of The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking and the director behind cycles, trends and forecasts. He's uh, taken George's economic theory and applied it to the market system to basically invest in monopoly rents and uh, uh, make money out of it. If, so, you know, if insiders are going to make money out of it, why can't the everyday person? And he's helping awaken people's ethical insights by uh, giving these sort of teachings. So I want to just read something to you. The landlord renders no service to the community. He contributes nothing to the general welfare. He contributes nothing to the process from which his own enrichment is derived. Who said this? Surely a left-wing propagandist. The person goes on. Roads are made. Streets are made. Services are improved. Electric lights turn night into day. And all the while the landlord sits still. Every one of those improvements is affected by the labour and cost of other people and the taxpayer. Actually, it was a conservative, Winston Churchill, speaking in the House of Commons in 1909. Skion of a powerful landowning family, he would have had personal insight into the level of effort and innovation required to inherit, inherit and manage property. Now, that's from an article from Adam Crichton in dare I mention it, the Australian. Yes, we have supporters in the depths of the Murdoch Empire. And uh, that was from last week and last night. Uh, Adam was kind enough to come down to Melbourne and accept the award for the best piece of George's uh, writing over the last 12 months. So uh, that was absolutely fantastic. And then, you, yeah, so you might remember... A couple of years ago, me telling a story here on 3CR about the, the speed at which my draw d- dropped when I opened the door at that uh, noisy co-working space we used to uh, reside in at LSX in Richmond and uh, opened the door and there was this beaming face smiling away at me knowing he was going to shock the hell out of me and it was Alan Kohler who we all see on the ABC news, uh, delivering the finance news every night. Well, he'd come to uh, scope us out and figure out who on earth this crew was uh, causing such a ruckus about vacant property and uh, wanting to get behind the story. So uh, we sat down and had a good old discussion he uh, wrote it up as if uh, I, I'd uh, chewed his ear off for 40 minutes, which uh, as uh, listeners after 10 years will know here on the 3CR, I'm pretty good at that when I get on my high horse. So I, was, I sort of read that article and went, God, what have I done? Maybe I've put him right off. He's not going to get into this. Well, a week after Adam Crichton wrote his article on April 28th, this Monday, uh, on, the, on the 4th, I think it was, uh, there was Alan Kohler tax land not labor writing about how uh, Saturday was uh, Henry George's 178th birthday and uh, it was great to see that he too was talking about this age-old message this importance of recognizing if we are all truly born onto this planet as equals then we must treat each generation fairly And the fairest way to do that is to collect a little land rent on behalf of uh, past and future generations to maintain society in a proactive manner. So uh, it was uh, really, really good to see um, these high-profile journalists talking about this story. Okay, well, I want us to uh, now segue over to A segment of Philip Anderson's discussion last night called Is the Queen a Georgist? We're going to run through this because I tell you, listeners, this is a big story. We really could be writing press releases about this and probably should be. There's a little bit more investigation to be done. But last night, Philip, as always... Delivered a bit of a game-changer and uh, for those who are highly critical of the Queen uh, Like uh, I have been in the past Please hold on to your hats. This is quite something here on 3CR's renegade economist
1: Is the Queen a Georgist?
0: We're talking at the docklands, so that's what he's looking at as he's talking about this
1: um, is she is? She's on the $5 Australian note. I have a couple of acres of real estate around around the UK, mostly. The Duke of Westminster owns 133,000 acres of land around Great Britain. 300, 300 acres of which is in Mayfair. So I did some digging around, and you can see if we if we, if I just go back one again, there are basically there are basically six owners of London land. You have the Cadogan Estate, the City of London. The crown, which is the queen, the Grosvenor Estate, the Howard de Walden Estate, and the Portman Estate, and I've coloured those in there, which you can see. Probably there's a seventh owner, or perhaps an eighth owner as well. The seventh owner, if you group them together, which which is uh, the church, as such, because that's quite a, the Catholic Church and the Church of England, quite large landowners as well. But we'll leave them aside for the for the time being. So you can see there the Grosvenor estate which takes in 300 acres of Belgravia and Mayfair. That's a nice 300 acres to own. Uh, It generates, just that 300 acres generates about £175 million a year. That goes straight into the pockets of the Duke of Westminster in his business. The Cadogan estate, Knightsbridge, Kensington, Kensington, Chelsea area, 121 million of rental income and so on. But it's the Queen. I'd like to talk about because I have a suspicion very few people in in the room probably understand much about what the Queen does. Now I'm going to, I'm going to read a quote here because I think this is the best way to explain it. And this comes from the, the the Times in the UK, it's in the business section. And the title there is headed "Crowning Glory for the Queen's Property Firm." And so, if you could, if you could just uh, bear with me while I explain it—it's only about 100 words, 150 words—but it explains the Queen's system. Timing, they say, is everything, and a decision has taken four years ago—a decision taken four years ago to redevelop. A large tract of St James in London has paid off handsomely for the Crown Estate. The estate, which is often called the Queen's Property Company, said that it had delivered a record $328 million to the Treasury last year. This is up 8% on 2015. In the past decade, the Queen's Property Company has returned more than $2.6 billion to the exchequer. Are you starting to get an inkling of whether the Queen is Georgist or not? (coughs) The lady in charge of the Queen of the Crown Estate is a lady called Alison Nimmo and she attributed part of its outperformance to the property development cycle in the capital. Four years ago they began a £450 development pound development between Regent Street and Haymarket. Does anybody know St George, uh, Saint James's around that area, around Haymarket in uh, London? It's a particularly beautiful part of, of London. My favourite hotel is there, the Sofitel Hotel on St James. I take a cup of tea there when I'm in London, very English, I take a cup of tea there most days. Really nice place. Um, Which was called St James Market in a nod to Hay and Straw Market in the area between the 17th and 19th centuries. The scheme was completed, that's the four year development, in partnership with Oxford Properties and is now nearly three quarters let or under offer to a mix of fashion and food brands. Okay. The Crown Estate, now this is the important bit, this is the important bit. The Crown Estate essentially dates from 1066, but in 1760, King George III surrendered Crown Revenue to the Treasury. Now, this is printed in the paper, I might add, so I'm not making anything up. The Crown Estate essentially dates from 1066, but in 1760, George III surrendered Crown Revenue to the Treasury as part of a deal that relieved him of his personal debts relieved him of the national debt and relieved him of responsibility for the cost of civil government. The Queen's surplus income goes to the Treasury. In return, the Treasury pays the Queen every year a citizen's dividend. The Treasury pays the Queen £40 million every year For her to carry on her work. I'm sure she's she's probably definitely, no, she's definitely worth it, 40 million a year, because she would generate far more than that in the tourism industry of all the people that go to see House of the House of Windsor and all the attached properties. Now, fellow Georgists, you tell me if that is not pure Henry George. Is it not the income from every piece of property that she owns goes to the treasury the treasury then collect it and then pay her a dividend
0: and that was phil anderson dropping an absolute bombshell there so let's just break that down again so In 2015, the Crown Estate delivered a record £328.8 million to the exchequer, their treasury, for its 30 wind farms and central London assets. So she pays that $328 million and receives back a 25% citizen's dividend under the form of a sovereign grant, which funds her official work and the upkeep of her residences. So what we're basically saying is that uh, the land value of her estate in London is worth some thirteen point one billion dollars, and she paid three hundred and twenty-eight million dollars of that uh, re- <clears throat> from revenue earned via those assets to treasury. And if we work out what the uh, royal, what the effective uh, rate is on on that payment. It's about 2.5%, but I looked into it and that $13.1 billion is based on capital values. So, dear listeners, that then alerts you to say, well, hang on, capital values includes a land plus improvement. So if we take some, let's be usually 30%, but I'm going to be generous and say, let's take 40% away as uh, representing the buildings recognising that the value of location-location is always generally superior. That means her land values are worth some $7.86 billion. So she's paid £328.8 million on uh, land values of of £7.86 billion. That works out to an effective land rent payment of 4.2%. That is incredible, ladies and gents. That is a big revelation. So if we apply that 4.2% land rent payment on Australia's whopping $5.1 trillion land values, that would deliver to the government, if Australian landholders abided by the practices the Queen is showing us, that would deliver $213.55 billion in potential revenue. That is massive. So uh, think of our welfare bill uh, discussed at the top of the show of $156 billion. That would well and truly cover that. Or if we looked at our uh, uh, income taxes and company taxes, they totaled up to $265 billion in 2015-16. So about 80% of those income and company taxes could be wiped out if we followed the Queen's uh, ethical stance as a landowner to recognise that they should repay to society for the right to put that fence up around that property and, and, and enclose what was a gift to us all. And this is a core fact that uh, we must repay society for cordoning off nature's opportunities and uh if we did that it would remove the sort of speculative largesse that is driving so much of the australian economy this 25 years of uh, the great australian economic miracle is having some rather strange side effects and uh we always uh, hear of Linda Evangelista, the uh, superstar model from the 80s and 90s, saying, I don't get out of bed for anything less than $15,000. Well, who would have thought 20 or 30 years ago that plumbers would be saying that they don't get out of bed for anything less than hundred grand a year? Sparkies, pretty much the same thing. You know, so many wages uh, have gone through the roof. And Carl, what are you doing talking about that? Well... Those uh, tradies are only trying to get by as well because they have to pay record high mortgage repayments each and every month. And so wages have to go up to, uh, to, to deal with this. And so the growth in jobs is all based around our property sector. And it's just so harrowing when we have the second highest private debt to GDP in the world It's so harrowing to consider that uh, uh, this music uh, may well stop soon and uh, the Australian economy and uh, those who have never experienced a recession before are going to get one hell of a reality check. So a way to smooth out the sort of boom bust and remove the ridiculous numbers that are being spent on real estate. A couple of weeks ago, a site in Turak went for $40 million uh, to a foreign investor, of course. And uh, that was some $14 million higher than the the last record price in Turak, uh, Melbourne's uh, wealthiest suburb. And uh, with some of the changes that have come through uh, in the uh, the tax uh, realm of, of recent in terms of penalising foreign investors uh, uh, and trying to deter them, uh, there was a $5 million stamp duty fee, some $412,000 in Foreign Investment Review Board application fees, a possible a vacant uh, residential property tax that was going to be significant as well alongside of uh uh, higher land taxes as well so it was absolutely incredible to see that this person had bought the property probably for you know an excessive and total costs uh 46 47 million dollars with ongoing costs on top of that and uh they were quite willing to do so just for a piece of land they'll probably knock the house down and just leave it empty and flip it in a few years hoping to make another 10 million dollars on top of that that's the great distortion that winston churchill was talking about uh, over a hundred years ago and so many others have talked about for thousands of years that uh, this ability to make money out of uh, the prime location location is uh, not good for society leads to incredible wealth gaps and it has to be stopped so to see that the queen is showing us the way forward hidden uh, away in the business pages of uh, the much respected uh, the times newspaper out of london was certainly something that had people talking last night uh, at our 126th annual dinner Frustrated.
1: Why shouldn't I be? What's wrong? Nothing.
0: So, 10 years ago, I began this show at the time with uh, my co presenter Ellis Bleeby. Her cousin, Michael Bleby, uh, writes for the Australian Financial Review and has been very good in uh, assisting us with uh, probably the number one topic we've discussed on the show over those times, and that is about the need to address the raft of vacant properties that abound in Melbourne and any city you travel to. Keep your eyes out near the train stations, near the cultural hotspots, Near the, the the next suburb, you think that hipsters will be visiting to uh, try and find cheap rents. Well, that's where people who go to uh, tax minimization for lawyers seminars or any of those property spruker type seminars, they uh, they don't teach you about race, racial profiling. They teach you about cultural profiling, how to spot a hipster. Mm. It's your job to go and listen to them on a Saturday morning what they talk about in the cafe. And it's your job to try and figure out where they're going to move to next. And it's your job to do what Mark Twain said, buy and wait. And just sit on that site because in five to seven years, you'll be able to cash in with a 400% return on your investment. Some of you will have remembered uh, that tax minimization for lawyers seminar a quote being a referenced quite a few times and it's been uh, it must be about time I dipped in and saw another property spruker and reported on some of the latest tax loopholes that are going on. I nearly flipped my lid. Ladies and gents, when I found out uh, that nationally there is a giant gaping scam going on with this first home buyer stamp duty discount, you know I've been fuming about this for a long time. It's the latest in the raft of policy fraud that keeps getting handed out as a housing affordability policy here in Australia. Well, if you are an investor... Who has never lived in your property for longer than six months? And this is quite part of the repertoire of being a property investor to buy a property, live in it for five months and move on, or uh, yeah, and build up your portfolio. And then once you've got three or four properties up and running, choose one that uh, has the potential for large capital gains and uh, live in it for longer than 12 months. Claim it as your primary residence and you can flip it without paying capital gains tax. Well, uh, yeah, this one uh, was the opposite. And if you live in it for less than six months, you can uh, still apply for the first home buyer stamp duty discount. So uh, that's giving people a half price, basically $17,000, $18,000. If you own four properties... Uh, you can still claim the first home by a stamp duty discount, which doesn't quite seem within uh, the ethos of, of what they're trying to do there. Why do they allow these loopholes? How many bureaucrats does it take to look the other way? You know, 25 years of uh, ball-busting land price uh, inflation and still they're getting away with this. Still there aren't riots in the streets We got it too easy here in Australia, the world's most livable city here in Melbourne. And uh, lo and behold, as we discussed recently, the economist who conducts that survey doesn't include housing affordability in the world's most livable index. What sort of Orwellian doublespeak is that? So... Well, so I have talked about uh, vacant property for so long and we've done pretty darn well having uh, so much press around our speculative vacancies report. It's great to see that there is now a national vacancy tax reinforced by state vacancy measures um, along uh, Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. I think maybe WA's joining on that as well. Uh, There's still a long way to go, a lot of problems to do with that vacancy measure and uh, I'm sure there's going to be some loopholes tied up in it. One of the big ones is that the vacancy uh, measures at the state level here in Victoria are only aiming at the inner and middle suburbs which means that it's fine to be a property flipper and, and be a lazy landlord out on the sprawl of Melbourne which is of course where the huge mass estates are. The big campaign contributors are earning billions of dollars in rezoning windfalls, are are lapping up uh, any of these middlemen who are trying to buy property off them and and just uh, uh, buy and wait. So uh, that's certainly a step in the right direction, what has happened, but uh, we need to go further. Uh, We need to replace stamp duties with a broad-based land tax because uh, the higher the land tax is, the lower your mortgage debt will be because instead of paying a one-off sum to the banks, you pay little increments to government over time that slowly increase and that revenue stream is well and truly powerful enough to remove income taxes, remove company taxes, get rid of GST. It could all go if we made the miners pay their fair share. But one of the problems we have and we keep raising have raised over these uh, 10 years is that so many of our statistics are doctored. Inflation doesn't include land. You can work just two hours a week and be considered employed. Uh, Productivity is always low because uh, they include land price in the denominator there. So uh, they've got it both ways. They remove land from the inflation figures, but to push productivity down, They include land price there. So that's a sort of rigged market capitalism we live under. Uh, It's a world of monopoly capitalism. Uh, We need the market system to be refined by removing the power of uh, these vested interests.
1: Don't stop now. (laughs) The breakdown of world finance is that, essentially, the crooks took over and were promoted on the guise that crime is the free market. Crime is the American way. Crime is what the Washington Consensus supports. Uh,